Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today I'm flying solo on the podcast. I want to discuss some new, fresh data that we have for our favorite EMS medication, ketamine. And realistically, this isn't a new use of ketamine. It's more of a a delivery development that really has the potential to make some serious waves and some serious impact in the EMS world, from my opinion. Before we get into the study, before we get into uh, the details, I want to do a quick review of ketamine for pain. Ketamine is an excellent analgesic, and there's tons of good evidence for ketamine pain use in the ED, postoperatively, especially and even in the EMS setting. Its pharmacologic action occurs at the NMDA receptor. It's an antagonist or a blocker there. And ketamine, as we talk about all the time, whether it's sedation, DSI, chemical restraint, its effects exist on a spectrum. So in other words, in the pain dose range, 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram parenterally, that's where you're going to have your analgesic effects. If you climb above that 0.3 into the 0.5, 0 0.7, 0 0.8 range, you're going to be in the dysphoria zone that can be very uncomfortable for patients, climbing up into the one milligram per kilogram and above parenterally where we reach our dissociative sedation zone. So we're talking 0.3 milligrams per kilogram IV is our current MCHD ketamine for pain treatment option. Uh, we give that in saline over a specified time period to minimize side effects. Side effects are dose and rate related. Intranasal ketamine is another option that's out there that has been well studied and well validated. The dose is a little bit higher due to absorption. 0.5 to 1 milligrams per kilogram is the intranasal option for folks out there that use that. That The atomization device uh, on the tip of a syringe is, is a fairly... Uh, well-studied and, and decently tolerated option for folks. But when you get into international medications, people hate them because oftentimes the, what's not atomized ends up being liquid in the back of the oropharynx and the patient tastes it, they choke on it, they don't love it. Kids hate any needle stick or anything up their nose, especially when they're scared or in pain. So IM and IV, sub-Q even, are not great options for kids, and kids don't like things up their nose. IV placement is never easy in the pre-hospital se uh, setting, kids or adults. So the study that I want to talk about, the Ketaban study, and this is comparison of nebulized ketamine at three different dosing regimens for treating painful conditions in the emergency department, a prospective randomized double-blind clinical trial, was performed by Dove et al., and this was uh, Dr. Motov's group up in New York City who authored and has authored tons of ketamine analgesia research, which a lot of our protocols here at MCHD for IV pain ketamine were based on. And like the title says, this was a prospective randomized double-blinded trial. So when we talk about hierarchy of evidence, anything prospective or looking forward is going to be more powerful. Anything where the treatments are randomized more powerful. Anything double-blinded where the administering physicians and the receiving patients did not know what they were getting, more powerful. 
single center, so that limits, or at least is a, I would call a slight weakness. It's only really applicable to that single patient population, so you have to be a little bit careful when you generalize to urban, rural, across America, uh, different demographic type um, groups. This was data that was collected between April of 2019 and October of 2020, so a little over a year. This is an urban teaching environment in New York City, and they looked at 30-minute pain scores across three doses of nebulized ketamine, 0 0.75, 1, and 1 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. They dosed patients with nebulized ketamine between 5 and 15 minutes, again, across those three doses, 0 0.75, 1, and 1 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. So first and foremost, your question better be, how in the world do you nebulize ketamine? Especially, how are you talking about nebulizing ketamine potentially in an EMS setting when we're in the back of a box and you're going to blow ketamine mist all over the back of the ambulance? Are you insane? And that's a very reasonable question. They used what's called breath-actuated nebulization, and the product specifically is called an Acuneb, and it's self-contained. In other words, there is no open spraying of aerosol mist, nebulized mist, into the external environment. This is a self-contained device, and it reduces ambient drug loss or ambient drug spread by upwards of 90%. The patient controls the delivery of the drug because it's, the device has a mouthpiece that the patient inhales through, and the drug is only delivered on inhalation. So the drug is not sprayed about the truck when the patient is holding the device in their left hand. It's only delivered and sprayed when the patient delivers negative inspiratory flow or inspiratory uh, pressure, and then the medication is delivered to the lungs. Similar somewhat to uh, nitric oxide in a way, in that it's self-administered. And the next question, any good uh, fiscally conscious paramedic or administrator is going to ask out there is how much do these Akinebs cost? And they are in the 5 to $7 range each. So not terribly expensive. Ketamine is something that we all carry, or at least a lot of us in EMS carry on our trucks. So uh, fairly cost-effective and cost-efficient little piece of plastic to, to carry a couple of those on your truck and be able to offer nebulized ketamine potentially to your patients. The next question anybody's going to ask is, well, tell me about the results. Did it work? And their primary endpoint was 30-minute pain reduction. Seems a reasonable endpoint for us to consider in the EMS setting. And they looked at adult patients with pain greater than 18 years old. Pretty much all comers. They excluded altered patients. They excluded patients with significantly abnormal vitals. They excluded intoxicated patients, patients who had already received recent op opioids, pregnant patients, and prisoners. All fairly reasonable to exclude uh, from a research study on nebulized ketamine for pain in my eyes. If they're altered, how are they going to tell you a good pain score? Abnormal vital signs patients probably need to be worked up for, you know, critical interventions and critical conditions. If they're intoxicated, how are they going to give you a good pain score? Recent opioids, that clouds the picture. Pregnant and prisoners uh, makes total sense to include, uh, to exclude, excuse me. There were 120 patients included, 40 per group. 
they were very similar. If you go to the demographics in the study and you look at age, sex, race, initial pain scores, very, very similar across the board. And this was some pretty significant pain from a pain score standpoint. They all had initial pain scores of, of about nine. And if you look at the pain scores at 15, 30, and 60 minutes across doses, very, very similar. At 30 minutes, the average pain score was about 4.5. So nine to about 4.5. Very, very significant pain reduction and very similar across times and doses. This reduction of a nearly half is similar to the reduction seen for IV dosed pain ketamine. So really, really intriguing as far as would nebulized ketamine be as good as you know IV ketamine for pain? And from this study, the, the numbers look very, very similar. Now, this wasn't a comparison between IV ketamine and nebulized ketamine, but the reduction of pain seen in the IV studies, very similar to the amount of reduction seen here in the nebulized ketamine study. The side effects, which are really what's important to me from a patient care standpoint, is how can we get good pain reduction with minimal side effects were quite minimal, even compared with IV analgesia ketamine, very, very minimal side effects. And those that did exist were low significance and very short acting, resolved very quickly. Secondly, the piece of this study that was really impactful and, and raised my eyebrows was how many of these patients needed rescue analgesia? So they got some nebulized ketamine, how many required dosing of secondary opiates? And there was a 10% incidence of rec rescue opiates in this study. In other words, 90% of the patients got nebulized ketamine and that's all they got for pain. So really, really strong evidence for excellent pain control, great side effect profile, and very low, low, low rate of rescue analgesia needed. So how can this benefit EMS? We know that pain is drastically undertreated in EMS overall, especially in our pediatric population. This eliminates the need for IV or IM pain medications in our peds patients especially, even intranasal, which is not a parental route per se, but not terribly pleasant. And handing the, the child a breath-actuated nebulized device with a mouthpiece and explaining to them that the medicine's only given when they inhale, and if they feel funny or they don't like it, they can pull the device away from their face. You can coach them into how to use the device, and it's entirely patient-controlled. Really an excellent option. Second group that I feel like from a EMS medical director standpoint, we really get a benefit here, is in our borderline hemodynamic patients, especially our elderly patients, 88-year-old lady, fell in her kitchen. She has a shortened, rotated left lower extremity. You think hip fracture. She's been sick for a couple days. She fell because she was dehydrated. You try an IV or two, no luck. You've got a systolic of 100, a heart rate of 100. So she's got a shock index of one. Ugh, you know, do I want to give her IM medication? You know, IM fentanyl or IM morphine? Well, you can give her nebulized ketamine. No IV is needed at the time. You can reduce her pain, allow her to get to the hospital, get an ultrasound guided peripheral IV, some fluid resuscitation, and you're not going to have the same hemodynamic effects that you would have with, say, a morphine or even a fentanyl. So really impactful study. This is something to definitely keep our eyes and our ears open as a coming attraction in EMS. Big props to Dr. Motov and his group for just laying an unbelievably deep and wide foundation for using ketamine for analgesia 
uh, in the emergency department and you know translating that to EMS patients as well. So there are more studies in the works here with comparing IV and nebulized ketamine. That would be one that would be very interesting to me to look for. I know that that's in the works, so, so stay tuned for that. And this is really something that we can take a medication that we know and that we use, change the route of delivery, improve compliance, improve side effects and side effect profile, and be able to expand our use profile. In other words, decrease those pediatric patients who do not receive pain medication and EMS care. We know that number is too large. This really targets a specific need for us in the pre-hospital setting. So as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. We will link this article and its sister studies in the show notes. As always, if you have questions or ideas for future podcasts, please email us podcast at mchd-tx.com. Org. Leave us a like or a review wherever you listen. We like five-star reviews. If you are only at four-star right now, please send us some feedback and we'll work on it and try to get to that five-star level. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again in a couple weeks with a new episode. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.